Welcome to episode 104 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett. This week, we're honored to have as our guest, Kelly Goto, who, as an evangelist for de design ethnography, is dedicated to understanding how people integrate products and services into their daily lives. Kelly is principal of Goto Media and Goto Research, a global leader in research-driven, people-friendly interface design and strategy for web, mobile, and product solutions for clients, which includes Samsung, Hyundai, Sony Ericsson, Nokia, Adobe, and Seiko Epson Japan. Her book, Web Design 2.0, Workflow That Works, is a standard for user-centered design principles. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was it felt like a little bit of a long intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all all worth talking about, right? So yeah. we included it. Um, so so today we're going to chat a little bit about uh, user experience for the enterprise. I know you just got back from the uh, Enterprise UX conference uh, down there in Texas. And I think this is a subject that is really on, on people's minds uh, right now, especially uh, when we're considering how enterprise users, whether those are the employees or the customers or the managers, um, you know, how they're dealing with experiences that seem somewhat needlessly complicated, you know, when, when it's compared to um, we're getting so used to these wonderful consumer facing experiences. So I'm going to, I'm going to just jump right into to some of the questions I have for you today. Um, you, what do you think is the current state of uh, enterprise user experience? Well, right now it's, it's an emerging field. And so user experience is the lovely new catchphrase for differentiation and success. And I think it's finally caught on. It takes a few years for these things to really get into the corporate culture. Customer experience, or CX, and brand experience. Uh, I don't want to say BX, but these terms <laughs> have been around for a long time. And I think there's very traditional uh, siloed um, behavior and thinking with some centralized resources, but typically marketing and product have been very separate. So user experience has come into play a role between what is traditionally marketing oriented, which is outreaching, and what is the customer experience or the actual touchpoint behavior internally. And so there's a, a line, I, I see it as a line dividing what was marketing and product is now blurring with user experience. So, you know, just just building on that, I, I'm wondering uh, why it, it might have taken so long for for the enterprise to catch on to to the user experience benefits. What's your take on that? Well, I, I think of it like a traditional pyramid and you can see that there's a CEO at top and then there's all kinds of VPs and directors and it goes down to the people who are actually making things. And in the 2.0 transition of, you know, 12 to 15 years ago, it started to shift up where the people that were making things started to have more and more say over how the brand experience actually functioned and featured. And it's finally now become a more, um, I guess, if you were to think of a diagram where user experience and customer experience this is all in the center. And then the company actually has to function around that actual experience because 
you can no longer promise a brand experience or promise any kind of uh, actual, you know, emotional value in a product or service. You actually have to prove it over time. So product and the user experience has become centralized in the organization. So that's how it's shifting. Interesting. So could you give us an idea as to the scale and complexity of enterprise UX problems? Because they're quite different from uh, uh, consumer-facing UX. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of of enterprise-driven behavior is based on, uh, well, fear, basically, Ah. and (laughs) uh, also avoiding any issues. So they want to, as an organization, be very profit-conscious and go towards market shares and numbers that make sense to them. So uh, there's a lot of numbers that drive behavior. There's a lot of decision-making years, you know, in the making for how big a market size is and how much on a global level, you know, they're going to be applying resources towards that market and how much they think they can take of that market. So it's very systematic. It's strategic. It's a little cutthroat. And if they don't have those numbers, then they're not going to put that money and time and effort into that. Now, these are assuming that there's a long road ahead where they can actually size the market. They can actually look at what they think the options are to serve that market. Then they can actually service that market well. And what's happening now is that we're in a state of what I call cultural flux of the stability of the market kind of falling out where everything is transitional, everything is dynamic. Uh, People are trying new products and services every single day, making decisions that are not necessarily trackable over time and with numbers. And um, if you look at, I don't know, there's sort of a diagram again, sometimes visuals are handy, but you can look at a market across time and you can see that it goes from sort of simple to complex. And then you can look at the user experience over time and you can see that it might go from something that is stable to something that's in flux. And I think that is what what's happening right now is a lot of companies are in this quadrant where the market is in flux and it's a very complicated market to serve. And so uh, it's very, very difficult to use things like big data, for instance, which is another catch term out there, to to look at size and actually apply it to that kind of revenue that they're looking for. So it's becoming harder to make those decisions ahead of time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so how would you say that, that, uh, you know, now that uh, UX has become this, uh, you know, more important element to, uh, uh, to the enterprise, how is, how is it changing the way the enterprise works? And, and as a, as a follow-up to that, how, how should it be changing the way the enterprise works? Well, Catherine Courage, who is in charge of uh, sort of the user experience group at Citrix, she gave a great keynote and she really explained, I guess, the fact that you have to have a vision from, you know, above, you have to have the vision to, to make these kind of changes that need to happen. And the speed of which it has to happen also is really critical so she was able to, in a two-year time frame, do something that they really did think was going to take five to seven years, which is to change the thinking of the organization, to centralize uh, insight gathering and research and design and all the things that user experience does so well in an organization, and then also roll IT under, the, under that. So there was a bunch of things that needed to happen. So she needed that buy-in from the top, and also she needed to be able to move really quickly to make those changes happen. Um 
cultural change in the organization is also a huge piece of that. So I think that, um, you know, right now it isn't an easy road unless you have all those pieces into play and Citrix isn't huge. They're not truly enterprise level, but they definitely serve an enterprise audience. So it was, I guess, inspiring to see how quickly those changes can happen if you have the buy-in at the top level and you have the vision to carry it through. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen at every organization. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, sort of the, the, the grander uh, idea of UX uh, within the enterprise. Uh, on, on the individual design level or, or as, as, as a designer, how can I get in there and better understand uh, enterprise type users? Well, I, I think one of the things that came up in the conference is how tricky it is to actually get access to the people that are using their products and services, especially at an enterprise level. So as, as user experience practitioners, one of our mantras is to actually, you know, truly understand what people are doing and using either agile or lean methodologies to rotate that data back into the process and to kind of execute it real time. So we're meeting people's actual needs. Now, getting access to internal team members and your internal customers is actually fairly easy Time, of course, is a hindrance, and you have to be able to motivate, again, top-level thinkers to say, okay, it's worth us allocating resources to participate in this type of feedback and studies so that we can improve our own services internally to provide a better output. And that has to, again, be something that's uh, a vision that's driven from the top down. Now, if we're serving an enterprise audience, it's also a very difficult proposition to reach those people and properly interview them or have them participate in usability studies because they not only do they not have time and are difficult to access, but they're actually protected by sales team and other external groups. Uh, and, And usually the product teams or the people that are working on actual products and services do not have access to them, nor are they given the rights to access. So, uh, I think it's a, it's a tricky proposition, um, right now in terms of how, it's actually working in an organization because of that lack of access, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, and I would think that, you know, as as uh, sort of a design consultant, perhaps coming in from the outside, um, I don't know whether that would be, that access would be, you know, quite possibly even more difficult to obtain. Um, or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to parse this, whether or not, you know, having the immediacy of, hey, here's here's an outside consultant, we really want to get this work done, versus, um, you know, hey, we've got a distributed audience, and, you know, like you said, they're protected by uh, sales teams and product teams, um, you know, we can't get a hold of any of these guys internally ourselves, let alone you as a, uh, a user experience consultant from the outside. Have, have you encountered any sort of those uh, uh, scenarios? Well, absolutely. And that's, I think, one of the biggest reasons why a big shift is happening in the industry right now where everything is going internal. Because as an external agency, we need uh, the buy-in and the access to people to do our jobs. And for a consumer-facing product or service, that's fairly easy, sometimes not so easy, especially if it gets into specific audiences. But on an enterprise level where a lot of the cash flow is still going out to agencies um, for marketing and for, for advertising, uh, that cash flow is turning internal for a lot of the both internal facing products and services and also R&D, like development and innovation that they have to do to stay afloat. 
So it's because of that, I believe, the access that's needed and the the real-time um, sort of churn that needs to happen internally in an organization. And also, quite honestly, there's a lot of NDA out there because the competition is so fierce that people really can't um, afford to let the secrets spill or take away their competitive advantage. So they're really taking things internal to make that, you know, sort of, sort of uh, sacrifice in a way so that you're working on one product or service all the way through. Right. Yeah. That, that seems to make sense. So, so you spoke at um, Enterprise UX about ethnography as corporate strategy. Could, could you tell us a little bit about that and uh, um, you know, what the the content of that uh, that talk was about because it sounds really intriguing to me. Yeah, well, ethnography. I mean, I use the term in this case fairly broadly. I do uh, come from a really clear idea that there's academic side to ethnographic based research, and then there's more design research or user experience research that will follow. So in this case, I'm sort of blending the two. T- took the liberty to do that, but ethnography as a whole is one of the only ways that you can get real-time one-on-one feedback from audiences that are fickle and shifting quickly. So as an example, when that big siloed organization is taking a look at their market size, they're going to have surveys. They're going to run big data analysis. They're going to do social media analysis. They're going to look at all their analytics to their website. And that takes a lot of time to process. And they're processing information that was six months ago or even a year ago. So we've found that when we take a mixed method approach and we're hitting the ground running and we're interviewing people real time, we're also merging it with data, uh, including surveys and other analytics. And we're trying to figure out what are the patterns there and what should we dive into And where are those areas of innovation or potential needs that can be served? We're actually able to do that in a three-month period. And so it's faster for us to kind of probe. If you knew water was down there and you were to take a probe and you were probing for water and you understood that there was areas that you were looking for, but we're not trying to understand all of it. We're trying to probe deeper and get more information about people's real needs, their real actions their behaviors, and really the emotional values that are important so that companies can offer the right kinds of products and services to meet those needs. And we're able to do it in a fairly short time frame. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a, a good way in. Um, you know, I haven't heard it uh, described that way before. So uh, uh, that sounds that sounds like a great opportunity for corporations to find out more about themselves and about what, you know, what they need to do. Kelly, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your thoughts with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we are mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett, that's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com, that's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Kelly, how can listeners get in touch with you? 
You can reach me on my Twitter handle, which is GoToGirl, G-O, the number two, and then girl. And also check out our website, go to research.com. Just launched and it really has a lot of the information that I've been talking about, about getting to stories and emotion rather than just data. So that's it for episode 104 of The Digital Life. I'm John Follett, and I'll see you next time. 